Hello, hello everyone. What's going on? This is the uh, uh, Mega Multimedia Productions uh, podcast here, talking about movies, games, TV shows, anime, all things kind of in the media realm. Uh, I'm back here with my buddy here, uh, Neil Chase, um, and we are discussing the King's Man movie today. That's the main topic. We and then we'll see where things go, as things always go. Um, we have a little bit of uh, things to discuss about it, I think. But uh, yeah, I, I'm just going to start off by uh, talking about um, like, well, kind of jumping into things, I guess. Let's kind of go how go go from how we go, and then we'll see how things flow. Sounds good. So, first of all, uh, basically to people listening here, uh, I'm very first thing here. Neil has finally taken some advice and started doing video content as well, and finally has a TikTok going. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so why don't you start off by with uh, with your um, not choice of the week that inspired this uh, this episode. Yeah, so I, I watched the the Kingsman. I was actually excited to see this film because I I really enjoyed the first two films, especially the very first one. I thought it was a, a fantastic movie. Uh, kind of turned the whole spy genre uh, on its head and gave us something that we haven't seen before um, in that type of movie. The second one was a good follow up. I thought it was a very solid effort. Uh, it had some missteps, I think, but overall it was it was an entertaining, fun picture. And I enjoyed it a lot. So when they said, okay, we're making a third one, I was like, all right, cool. Let's see where this goes. Um, I think one of the red flags immediately was the fact that it was not going to be a continuation of the series. So Taron Egerton wasn't going to be part of it. Um, uh, gosh, uh, none of the actors from the original film were going to be part of it. Um, it was really just supposed to be a standalone story set in World War One about how the Kingsmen came to be. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, you know what? At least that's that's a cool premise. I am actually interested in seeing uh, the origin of the organization, especially since it was outlined briefly in the very first film. And I thought, okay, you know, that sounds like a cool story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, I was eager to see it. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I do remember see, like seeing the trailer and... Oh. Um, thinking like, okay, this is going to be pretty decent. Maybe not like the best movie. Definitely same as any other thing. The third movie is almost always the the worst of any trilogy or any any sets of movies. Um, and like, the, I agree with you 100%. The first Kingsman movie like blew everyone away. It was phenomenal. Second one was, it was okay. They had, they were trying to do similar things and trying to make it work, but uh, it, it was, it was good, but well, my my first gripe with with this one was definitely the fact that they it felt like they didn't know where they wanted the story to be because like what was it a Kingsman origin movie or was it a World War One uh like historical drama like like mm-hmm. why well, where were they focusing what were they trying to do that you could tell they had two whole complete different stories and they were trying to tell both in one movie. Yeah, yeah, I found the same thing. Uh... You know, to contrast that with the with the first two films, which have a very playful attitude, right? Um, you almost get the sense that like it's it's very tongue in cheek. Like they they almost approach the film with this attitude of like, look, guys, we know this isn't real. You know this isn't real. This is a a, a comic book universe, really, mm-hmm. come to life. 
Um, so let's just have some fun with it. And, and to me, that that always seemed the approach with the first two. This one, they they at times go very serious, like way more than than the predecessors did. But then they then they go really super silly too, right? Um, at the same time, so it, it was like to me, it was almost like like I don't know. Did Matthew Vaughn watch 1917? I think maybe, and he was like super impressed with it and thought this is a beautiful movie. I want to do something in World War One as well. Mm-hmm. But then he didn't quite know how to fit it into the world of, of the Kingsman. Mm-hmm. And so you have this really inconsistent uh, tone to everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, like that's, I was thinking the exact same thing. By the time, the I think their son's name was Conrad or something like that. He was like, yeah. it, it was just like, okay, so now by the time he finally got his wish to join the, the military and everything, um, Oh, for those who are listening, by the way, this is going to have spoilers for the King's Man. Just wanted to throw that out there. Uh, forgot to mention that, sorry. Um, but by the time he actually got into the the into the war and everything, he's like, oh, my dad was right, dad was right. And like, exactly, it was turning into a, uh, yeah, 1917 was the exact movie I was thinking of. Or um, was that the movie that, uh, not do, uh, uh, Dunkirk? Dunkirk, thank you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's like, they... I, it was so weirdly placed. Like I don't know what they were, what they were trying to do. But uh, I, I did kind of get where they were trying to get a an origin together of like, like this is how it would happen. But it's like, so in this fictional world, all these like world leaders leaders are just on an evil evil doom patrol. Like it's everyone just connect. Like yeah, yeah. That part that part I found so silly and over the top it just pulled me completely out of the story this idea that there's a scottish goat herder uh somewhere who's really the mastermind behind every you know everything that's really happened in the entire 20th century uh in terms of political figures and and war major wars and it was just like what really like this is where you guys are going with this Mm-hmm. It was just like I'm and, this one bad guy, and I have my henchmen of evil bad guys. Yeah, and he was just evil for the sake of being evil. Like literally, that was his motivation. Like I just want to destroy everything. <laughs> and it's like, okay, this is terrible. <laughs> well, the well, the one thing I did like, even though it has nothing, doesn't really have anything to do with the plot, but I did like how they um how they had um. They they brought in, oh my god! I'm just blanking so hard on on names right now. The uh, character Black from Black from Black Panther and Falcon the Winter Soldier, Soldier. Um, the guy who played the villain Zemo, the guy who played Zemo, and those. Oh oh right. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember. I I don't remember his name, but I I like him now. Now that I've seen him a couple times in the MCU, I'm, I'm like picking him out. I'm liking him as a as an actor again. Can't for the life of me remember yeah, his name. Yeah, he's a, he's a great actor. Um, oh god, yeah, I'm blanking on his name as well. I'll be honest. Um, yeah, he's a German actor. I, I, I can't think of his name now. Uh, but yes, uh, he's a really great actor. I mean, th- this movie didn't lack for great actors. You know, you've got like uh, Ralph Fiennes in it uh, first and foremost. So, you know, you know, it's a, a movie that has great actors. Um, and Jim Wonhunsu, for example, he's in it as well. And he's really great. Gemma Adderton's in it. You know, I think she does a really good job uh acting wise like i think everybody did a good job acting wise uh, i i didn't feel like there was any 
issue on that level. I, I think these are all great actors. They're very professional with what they do. So they, they do the best that they can with the material that they're given. Exactly. I think the, the blame lies squarely on the shoulders of the people making the film. Um, that being the writer and the director. Um, because they, they cobbled together a story that, that's nonsensical at best. Um, and, and very convoluted. The plot line, I just found it to be very convoluted. It didn't really know what it wanted to be. Um, it was this case of who's the actual lead in the film? Mm -hmm. is, it, is it the father, you know, the Earl of Oxford, or is it the son, the, the character of Conrad? And it's like it could have been either one right up until a certain point. Mm -hmm. And and then it's like it becomes clear that it's it's one of the two. I don't know I, I don't know how many, how many spoilers you want me to get into. Oh, here. we can we can uh, go into full things if you want. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fine. Yeah, yeah, let's go so, into full deep dive. If, if we go into the full deep dive, so what happens is uh, at the outset the, the story begins basically during the Boer War in South Africa where where the Earl of Oxford played by by Ralph uh, yeah, Ralph Fiennes um, I feel like I'm going to say Joseph Fiennes at some point. Uh, it's Ralph Fiennes, um, plays the, the Earl of Oxford. So he's this high level dignitary for the British government. And he brings his family to this um, uh, Boer concentration camp um, that the English are running. And, and his wife is appalled and he's appalled and they want to do something about it. But then there's a Boer sniper who kills his wife. And this is not really a spoiler because it happens in the first five minutes of the film. And it sets him on the path of, of this really anti-war pacifist stance where he doesn't want to have his son ever involved in the war because that's what he promises his dying wife. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Okay. That's a, I think that's an okay setup for a film. Mm -hmm. But then the movie really meanders after that for a very, very long time. Because there's this like, next time we see them, the, the kid's all grown up. He's an adult. Uh, he wants to go uh, sign up for the army. Um, there's a war pending. Everybody can see it. World War One is like on the cusp. It's about to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, his father won't let him sign up. Everyone in their local village thinks the kid is a coward and they even give him a white feather because of that fact. And like I say, you have this feeling like who's really the lead of the story because they really show both of them as co-leads in this film mm -hmm. uh, up to a certain point. And then until the you know, war breaks out and the kid actually goes to war. And there's like these scenes of him in the war. And again, very reminiscent of 1917 in the sense of, I think, I think Vaughn was trying to capture the, that sort of, you know, horrible majesty of the war trench war experience of mm -hmm. world war one. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think he captured it as well as 1917 did. I mean, of course you don't have Roger Deakins as your, as your cinematographer. So you're, I think already behind the eight ball as it were, but um, you know, it story-wise, it just wasn't as impressive. Mm -hmm. I think the motivations of the character were, were kind of weak. Um, yeah. And then the kid, the kid dies. Yeah. And then once he dies, Ralph Fiennes takes over and becomes this sort of kick-ass guy that, you know, kind of out of nowhere, let's be honest, there's mm -hmm. no real indication that he's like the Superman type of guy for the entire movie. You just get the sense that he's just this rich guy who lives in a castle. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, he's like... Super well-trained well and, and a good fighter. He can 
he's like been has the the like the limp, but he kind of actually has the limp, but he kind of doesn't, and he can and he can yeah. use like. Yeah, is he like pretending? And then just randomly, okay, we just have these these spies throughout all of Europe already. Yeah, it was yeah that whole spy thing was so weird, and and it was on par with the with this idea of this you know Scotsman and his um, evil empire. On and and to contrast that, you've got this this Earl of Oxford who's got. Uh, a, a spy empire of, of house servants throughout the world and it was just like okay I guess why not I, I could see how maybe something like that could see that's where I think where they totally they were trying to do kind of like um like agents of shield like they're trying to do like shield like they're trying to like build yeah. something they were like here's bits and pieces here's bits and pieces and now with this spy organization of all these butlers and every everyone that's con- connected somehow Oh, now we're just gonna build this into a whole thing. It's like, so that—that's the premise of the movie yeah, is that you're just building and, this and whole I'll, network. Yeah, and I'll be honest, I didn't mind the the spy network so much. I thought it was at least that was grounded in a sort of realism. This idea that you know there are there are always servants, there are always people in these places of power who are who are just sort of backgrounds uh, nobody pays them any attention um you know especially like a hundred years ago mm-hmm. when when it was very much the haves and the have-nots and and this idea that a servant is nothing more than really a piece of furniture right um so i i appreciated the fact that they used it to their advantage this um this blatant bias against these working class people and that it was the working class people then who are funneling information to the secret organization. I thought that was actually fairly clever mm-hmm. as an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that's plausible you think could actually happen. Like people yeah, just standing yeah, there, it, just standing there, just listening in to all these high end conversations and stuff. Right. Right. Like it, it puts me in mind of so many films, uh, you know, you watch where, where people are having these like high level conversations, uh, in restaurants, that always makes me think of those scenes, mm-hmm. you know. And there's a waiter literally standing right beside them as they're talking about plotting some bank heist or some overthrow of a government or, or you know, a top military secrets. And I'm sitting there thinking every time I watch a scene like this in a movie, I think to myself, do you not realize that there's a complete stranger standing right next to you who you're speaking freely in front of, mm-hmm. um, and you have no idea who this person is? It's like, to me, it's one of the biggest plot holes, I think, of any film of that ilk. Um, because <laughs> it's just so dumb. It's just such a dumb plot hole, you know? And, and it's like, makes me think, like, who would be that dumb as to just sit there in front of complete strangers? But then the moment they leave the restaurant, they're like, okay, now we can't talk about it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. So, so sometimes they'll, you'll see, like, they'll be in the, 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 business room or whatever and there'll be a servant at the door and they'll they'll sometimes they'll actually like shoo them away or whatever which is what you would actually want but now, if, well, now you just that have makes sense. Yeah. yeah exactly that, that would actually make sense to it yeah but, so but, look, but, going back to talking about the son like um yeah. the one thing that was weird definitely weird to me was the fact that he was eager to go to war like after seeing his mom get murdered as a ch- like when he was a child so he would have mm-hmm. we're assuming he's around eight or so eight or ten maybe they don't actually specifically yeah. say that 
but he's yeah. anyway and uh and he sees what's going on and like throughout his so throughout his whole entire upbringing he would have been coddled by his father to stay away from it as much as possible and and granted this like he's obviously in the know-how his, his father being integrating with politics and stuff like that but he and normally how people are they go to like private school and they learn all this stuff and everything but right. like what like what was his motivation to be like be like oh wanting to hardcore chase after it like i i know that back in that era when the like uh the uk was going into war it probably was something like hey i need to serve my country but like he seemed mm -hmm. like it's been his lifelong goal before any of this would have he would have even known any of this was happening yeah they definitely um they definitely got that message across that that he was eager to join the military from the outset but you're right you're absolutely right you think that something as traumatic as seeing your own mother gunned down in front of you uh in a warlike um uh, situation um would be enough to dissuade you from wanting to have anything to do with war ever again um so so i i agree with that 100 percent um but you know uh, i think the film tries in a way to balance that viewpoint or, or and the balance or counter, I should say, that viewpoint with this idea of, of, you know, the extreme nationalism that would have been in place in England at the turn of last century, because uh, let's face it, it probably would have been a very um, nationalistic place where it's like, you know, the whole king and country and do your duty and everybody needs to join the army and stuff like this. Um, so I get that. And being a young man, he would have seen all his friends going off to join the army. And, you know, you get that kind of Luke Skywalker. I think that was maybe what they were going for. The whole idea of like, well, all my friends are going to the academy, so why can't I? Mm -hmm. You know, I just want to go get power converters at Tashi Station. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, but again, he was a much weaker character than Luke Skywalker. Luke, you understand his motivations. They're very clear cut. Um, with with Conrad, it was. Um, gosh, I hope it's Conrad. I'm, I'm pretty sure that was his name. Um, yeah, at least that's how he was yeah. referred to. Yeah. Yeah. With, with Conrad, it was. I don't know. It wasn't as clear cut. It was more muddled. It was just this guy who wants to join the military, really, just because, mm -hmm. right? And and the longer he doesn't the more he feels the need to do so. Mm -hmm. And and I felt like the movie just took way too long to get him into the army. Mm -hmm. You know, the, there's this entire, um, I guess, first half of the second act, really, where, where they're playing with this idea of the world is on the cusp of war. Will they, won't they go to war? Um, things happen to to precipitate war and to bring them closer and then other things happen and then some more things happen but they're never quite there yet and there's all this double dealing and then event and then eventually kind of the midpoint of the movies when they finally go to war mm -hmm. and it's just like wow that took so long for for world war one to start in this film mm -hmm. that's that's all about world war one mm -hmm. and to me it's like okay like if you're going to take a historical um event like this um and in this case it was the the assassination of archduke ferdinand you know that was the uh, 
still the same, you know, even though it's like a comic book movie, it's still the same event, mm -hmm. although through this weird, evil organization. Yeah, lens, exactly. What's it called? Legion right? of Doom. Yeah, it was... Oh my god, I just, I could not get over the fact that this movie, you know, I've said that, I said this in my, uh, on Facebook, but I'll say it again, because I think it bears repeating. The thing that I found the most outlandish about the villain in this film is that we're supposed to buy that there's this alternate history um, that's below the surface where this Scottish goat herder is responsible for Rasputin, for the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand, for Matahari, um, for bad relations between the three kings involved in World War I, uh, Lenin, and at the end you find out he's also responsible for Hitler. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, it, it was too much. My brain felt like exploding at the end of it. It's like, uh, okay, you're, so you're telling me that this one dude who literally lives on top of a mountain somewhere in the Scottish hills raising goats for cashmere scarves, and, and that's, by the way, an actual plot point in the movie, mm -hmm. um, that, and, and he has a wooden elevator that you need a guy with a hand crank to get people up to the top. That this guy is really the power behind the power. Mm -hmm. That he is the single most powerful guy in the world. Let's uh, be honest. Back when there's, you know, the tel te uh, te te telecommunication, what? Oh my, teleprompter? Not teleprompter. Telegraph. Telegraph. telegraph thank you. Telegraph communication, doves communication, yeah. like letters, uh, you know, uh, there's maybe some form of like, you know, film production and stuff, but like, how are you communicating all of this to, to get okay. everywhere? Like, exactly. And then they, they seem to have a meeting like every week uh, with all these bad guys um, in the same room. And yet, this is at a time when traveling from, from one country to another would have taken like a week or two at mm -hmm. most, you know, or, or at least I should say. Um, and, and mind you, this is during like wartime when travel would have been next to impossible between these countries. And yet you've got these guys from Russia and Germany and Austria and uh, England and France or whatever, all convening in the same place. And then they just all go away and then they come back again mm -hmm. a week later. And I'm just like, this is crazy. This is this is nuts. Yeah, it's like they were trying to use the little pieces from other movies because as like yeah. Because like, or like, like uh, Game of Thrones. You know how in Game of Thrones there's the the elevator that is like hand cranked or whatever. They're like, ooh, let's yeah. let's take that. And then in um, uh, I was thinking this. It was reminding me of the Sherlock. They were also trying to get like the Sherlock Holmes vibes because totally. like totally. from the first Sherlock Holmes, same same thing. He's like trying to start the war. Oh, world, the war is gonna happen because Sherlock Holmes is set in the late eighteen hundreds. And it's like, yeah. and it's like implementing like, oh, this is about to happen. And they like, yeah. and they're talking about World War One, And then it's, they're trying to do the same thing. I'm the one guy in command, but Sherlock Holmes did it way better. Like, way better. And, and same thing of yeah. just like, he just noticed, hmm, there's a red scarf. I want, what is this specific type of material? He just touches it. And he just knows. And it's like, there's, as right. you just said, there's no prior knowledge of, of him uh, whoever, I don't, can't even remember, I literally just watched the movie and I can't even remember his name, the main, the main character, um, 
like he has this detective skills randomly. Yeah, yeah, it, it, that's right. That's right. Like he, it's like they just sort of give him random skills whenever he needs them. Um, which was, I, you know, it, it's it's sort of poor poor character planning, I guess uh, you can call it. Um, just on a segue, one thing that got to me about the the bad guy, the Scottish bad guy. Every time you saw him, it's like you saw the back of his bald head, and I, I was just like, honest to God, I was expecting that the moment we see the first time we see his face when he turns around, I was expecting him to be holding a white cast because it's like they were going like the full Doctor Evil route with this guy, and I was just like, like it, it's such a parody of of the the trope of the evil mastermind, right? Mm-hmm. The Blofeld or the Doctor Evil. And I'm just like, did you really have to make him bald on top of everything else? Because it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. already a parody. <laughs> oh, but and but which felt like if they were going through the route of the other uh, Kingsman movies, it might have been a good laugh and it would have made sense. Only, right. Like, in, yeah. in the style, because like the first two movies have a completely different style than what this movie is, right? Like the director didn't know what, what they wanted to do. They were just, okay, let's make this a war drama. So, right? So yeah. if they did something like that in the actual Kingsway way, Kingsmen way, it, it would have been funny. It would have been like, wow, like, as, as you said before, yeah. like, yeah, it's not just a, a basic uh, James Bond spy movie. It's a comic book, comedy spy movie, like. Exactly, exactly. And I, I thought they also wasted some characters, you know, like um, Jim on Hunsu's character especially i like i think he's such a fantastic actor i love the guy and everything he's in he's got this natural charisma to him and he's like you always want to see more of him on screen um and i thought like they really just did nothing with his character like he he shows up a few times um to sort of show that he can fight with this sword of his mm-hmm. and that's kind of it like that's literally all the purpose the guy serves. And then Gemma Atherton, her character was was a waste as well in the sense that she's there to just, like her entire purpose in this movie is to simply rescue the other characters when they get in trouble. Have you mm-hmm. noticed that? Mm-hmm. It's like, she's a nanny, which, okay, th- let's back this up. She's a nanny. That's her profession, right? Mm-hmm. And yet she's a better shot than everybody else. She knows all about poisons, all about, um, like, espionage. She's the one who actually runs the espionage ring. Mm-hmm. She's a master decoder when it matters. Like, there's a plot line in the middle of the film where they have to decode this secret message, mm-hmm. and she's the one who does it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, when Jimon Hunsu is in trouble, she rescues him when... Um, the, the Earl is in trouble later on. She rescues him. Um, it, it's like, and yet we know nothing about the character. Did you notice that? Oh, yeah. We know nothing of the character's backstory. Yeah. We know nothing of her motivations. Like, why is she working for this secret spy ring? Why is she working for this Earl? Um, there's obviously, they tried to make this romantic subplot between the two of them that literally goes nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, well, why does she have these feelings for this guy who's never reciprocated them even once? Mm-hmm. Um, like, what's so special about her? Is it just because she looks similar to his dead wife? Like, yeah, like they just never go into her story at all, and it was just like, 
like they're trying to sort of set these characters, these side characters up as being important, but they're all they're there to do is to like fill time with like, oh, this one can fight and oh, this one can shoot and oh, this one um you know yeah there's the there's the knife guy and the combat guy and she's the gun person yeah yeah like when they first like show her that she can she's like they're they're doing some combat training fighting and whatever which is totally random like why he's learning all this but okay and then just just randomly just be a pacifist yeah exactly and then she's just off a balcony she trusts her shot that well to shoot a dagger out of this guy a wooden dagger out of this guy out of his hand and yeah. just, it's like, uh, like, like how dangerous is that? Like, no matter how good of a shot you are. That's... Exactly. Exactly. There's zero reason for it, even in the context of the scene. Like, uh, it was like, it, yeah, honestly, if somebody did that in real life, you'd be like, what are you, like a complete psycho? Mm-hmm. You know? And yet they show us like this sort of ha-ha funny moment. Look how cool I am. And it's like, all right, I guess. You know, but it served no purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think somebody asked me what I would have done differently as a writer. Um, you know, than this thing, and it's like I, I don't want to. You know, I don't want to boast or anything to say like, oh, I could write this better. But at the same time, I, I feel like had they just started the movie um, with the assassination. And being plunged into war, and this kid being headstrong, going into battle, uh, defying his father's orders, and he finds himself in the trenches where he's unprepared for the the true horror of war. And um, then you can have the scene like they have in the movie where the father pleads with the king to spare his kid and bring him back. The king does the same thing. We could have that exact same scene. The order goes out. But it's too late because the charge has been ordered, everybody goes over the top, and the kid is killed. If they had that in the first 20 minutes of the movie, that is literally all you would have needed from that kid. Mm -hmm. And it would set up the idea that now this father is... He's lost both his wife, the main character, he's lost both his wife and his son thanks to wars. Right, mm-hmm. and um, I think there would be this opportunity to have a lot of resentment for the king because it's like, why didn't you bring my son home sooner, kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Like I pleaded with you, I've always been your loyal servant, but you like you betrayed me, kind of in in what I needed you the most. And then now imagine this scenario where it's the war is in full bloom, right? And then they find out there's a conspiracy to kill the king. And this is the conspiracy, not this incredibly obtuse, like, long-winded thing where it's like world domination by, you know, starting wars and killing this guy and controlling that guy. It's like, just simplify it. Just simplify it to say there is a, a conspiracy to kill the king. And if the king dies... In the middle of World War One, that could irrevocably ruin England's chances in the war, right? Because morale will drop instantly. They're without leadership. Um, <clears throat> they're without that moral center that's guiding them through the war, all those things. And so it's like, then he has to 
he has to literally swallow his pride and fight back that that hate he has for this man and instead do his duty and fight for the crown because fighting for the crown means you're fighting for the country and you're going to fight for your nation and that precedes everything or supersedes everything i should say mm -hmm. and now you've got real motivation and then imagine if that same guy then recruits other lords uh, and and uh, people who have also lost sons, and maybe even one or two of the guys who've come back from the war. Maybe they're wounded. Maybe they have like missing limbs or you know missing eyes, something like this, where it's like they've been deemed unfit to fight, but they are people who are still loyal and are still willing to do their duty. And this would be so much more in line with what the very first movie presented as the the origin of the Kingsman, mm -hmm. because that was the other thing. I found that this movie, the origin of the Kingsman wasn't the same as what we were told mm -hmm. was the origin of the Kingsman. And had they done this, had it had they done it something more along these lines, I think the opportunity would have been there to, to also have a more balanced tone, mm -hmm. right? It's like, okay, if you want to do it more serious, Here's your opportunity to be more serious. But you could also make it a little bit more on the um, lighthearted side, I think, in the, the types of characters that you bring into the mix, right? So, yeah, they, they, they need more uh, uh, writers from, from Marvel because they're really good at doing that, like, serious but throwing in random jokes here and there to kind of lighten the mood, but then make it, like, yeah, because yeah, compared to, like, it, this was trying to be like they were they were trying to get like uh martin scorsese to be impressed or steven spielberg to be impressed by look at me i'm doing a, a war movie look how fancy i can be not the actual yeah. where it has nothing to do with the connection it's like and what i'd also noticed is uh they the only way they were kind of connecting it to the other movies was by having like manners make a man but that line and uh, mm -hmm. Oxford's not bro, bro, bros or whatever the line oh, is. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. like the one part when he's falling down the mountain, he has the he puts a blade into his shoe to make the like the blade. Right. The, so no, uh, sorry, I know that had nothing really to do with what you were talking about. I just wanted to no, because like, but it, it it still continues on because like it. So exactly. So going on to what you were saying then though is. Yeah, that, that would make it in a way almost similar, but then similar in a way to the first Captain America movie. That's what you're describing might almost make me think of scenes like the, not the entire movie, but just the, him rescuing the, the other, um, the POWs and everything. And when he goes to rescue Bucky and everyone, that, that yeah. scene. So, but either way, it would still be a better set because then, Exactly, you would you would make it so that we know who the main character is, not figuring out between these two people which one is it, and it would actually make sense as to why he's training and why he doesn't like the government, because he even says like we need something that's above the government that has no politics involved, blah blah blah, and that would actually help justi justify as to why he doesn't like the the politics and the government, why he wants to build this separate. Yeah, and and. You know, speaking of which, there's a scene at the very end of the movie where um, we see them actually form the Kingsmen. 
and which I found it was also misfire in in a big way in the sense uh, in two ways two ways so um, one is that halfway through the movie they introduce Aaron Taylor Johnson as this random soldier who switches places with Conrad under Conrad's orders because Conrad is a uh, officer and uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson plays uh, just a random private and that's how Conrad gets himself into the into the trenches essentially mm -hmm. uh, when the king basically orders that he come home and it was such a weird moment to watch because uh, I, I saw it with a friend of mine and we're sitting there watching and I'm like is that Aaron Taylor Johnson? Because at first we couldn't tell. And and for those of you who are un unfamiliar with, with the name, he was the lead character in the movie Kick-Ass. He was also Quicksilver in the uh, MCU movies. Yes. Um, he was in Godzilla. He's, he's a great actor. He's been in a lot of things. Mm. And and he's one of those, those people, it's like when you recognize his face, you're like, oh, I know this actor. Mm -hmm. And so it made me think immediately like, oh, he's going to have a big role in this movie moving forward like maybe i i had the feeling like he's going to take over for conrad because they were really telegraphing that conrad's gonna get killed mm -hmm. right and i thought okay so this kid's gonna take over for him no you literally don't see him again until the very end of the movie where he's just randomly there uh, at this table with the rest of these guys to start the kingsman uh so that was the one thing i found really weird it almost makes me think like are there like is there like deleted scenes with Aaron Taylor Johnson uh, on some cutting room floor because they ran out of time or something. I don't know. Um, and secondly, they're going around the table. The Earl of Oxford says, okay, I'm Arthur. Um, Aaron Taylor Johnson says he's Lancelot. Um, uh, gosh, I'm trying to remember the names now. Um, Jimon Hunsu says he's Merlin. Uh, Gemma Atchison says that she's Galahad. Um, then here's a really weird choice. The uh, the American ambassador to England, played by Stanley Tucci, again. Yeah, totally uh, random the, cameo. Exactly, just randomly like, there. Phenomenal actor that they just like threw in for three minutes of movie. Mm -hmm. um, and he's there at the very end of the movie. And he's going to be, I think, Bedivere um, or Percival. I can't remember which one. And then the King of England himself, King George. And and he's sitting there and he's like, oh, and I'm Percival, and I'm and then they all sort of raise a hand, toast, and they're like, we are the Kingsmen. I'm sitting there going like, wait a minute. The whole point is that you are the king's men. In other words, you are the guys who work directly for the crown, for the king, and yet the king is one of the guys who's like under. Um, the dude in charge mm -hmm. who works for him. So it's like this circular weird logic of like, well, who's actually working for whom, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and I thought that was just weird, weird way to end the film. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It just, I, I, I can keep going back to it. It's just, they didn't know what they wanted to do for, for the movie. Mm -hmm. Like they were just, they were making a World War One drama and just placing the Kingsmen stuff on top of it to, to get probably, I don't know, to get the budget or something to be like, hey, here's this, like, yeah. here's this World War One drama that I've been writing and producing and blah, 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 I can't get it sold. What if I market it as a Kingsman prequel? There we go. And they just like, yeah, 
and it's and it's weird because I thought the the first Kingsman movie I thought had a really great balance between serious and absurd, right? That that because it was it was there was like some uh, a level of absurdity to what we were seeing, but it was done in a very purposeful way where it's like okay, this is just we're having fun, mm -hmm. right? But they they managed a really nice balance with with some serious moments, like for example, this idea of this poor kid. Who, who lost his father early and he has to watch his mother uh, in an abusive relationship with a guy who's just a piece of crap who's also abusing him at the same time and and but he has no real way of fighting back he has no way of getting out of the situation and and we really sympathize with him right because it's a serious situation and yet it yes it was done in lighthearted way at times but then there are moments where you're like, like I really feel for him, and mm -hmm. I really feel for the situation that his poor mother is in as well, right? And then later on, there's a moment uh, I don't know if you remember where the the evil um, Samuel Jackson's mm -hmm. plan comes to fruition, and mm -hmm. the cell phones are making everybody crazy and murderous, mm -hmm. and the mom is literally trying to get at the baby to kill her, mm -hmm. and this poor little toddler who in the scene looks. So genuinely terrified. I can only imagine what they did to that poor actress, like the little child. Yeah. She's just a toddler. And her reaction is so heartbreakingly genuine. Mm -hmm. I, I kept watching, the first time I saw that movie, I, I couldn't help but think, like, what did they do to this poor kid on set yeah, to, to, make... to get this reaction out of her? Exactly. You know? <laughs> but still, my, my point is, it was a very serious moment. And and like you, and it really sucks you in because you're like, oh my god, is this kid going to be okay, mm -hmm. right? And and then of course everything turns out fine, and because the hero wins, and you know good guys win, bad guys lose. Um, yeah, they just didn't find that balance yeah, in this one. Exactly, like they they literally even at the the end of the first Kingsman movie, there's two big things I want to talk about with the end. One being uh, talking about when he's going by, he's going by the the. Uh, some a princess of somewhere i don't remember where she's from she's a princess of, and the, sweden i, I think yeah, it was sweden yeah so she's yeah. it's still in the cell and then in the original version she talks about like um if you save the world you can put it in my bum or something like that and he walks by <laughs> and he whatever he goes like oh right. okay sweet and then he goes by and then the way they kill everyone is by having fireworks of colorful explosions it's just like it shows the com the, the comedic aspect of it where whereas for that's for us as the audience type thing, but whereas if it was in the actual situation, people's it'd be brains splattering everywhere and it's disgusting. Yeah. But like they add it into a for for the viewer to make it entertaining for the viewer. And then mm -hmm. so this so then they go back and mention like Merlin, can you get the door for me after like and it adds that that good comedy amount to it of being like, Okay, well there you go. And like they still yeah. have the serious moments of like when he's getting when Eggsy's getting trained and it's the the parachute scene and he's like okay here's my plan this is what we're gonna do let's save everyone and then he still like still made it work and they still like the way how Merlin showed him was pull the ripcord like I, mean, I wasn't gonna actually let you die you dumb shit like right right well I, I, but they thought remember they they thought at the beginning that the one cadet drowned yeah right off the bat and that was a very serious moment in the film because it's like. 
you had all this levity and all the comedy and then the action and adventure of them getting out of the situation and they all feel good about it and they're patting each other on the back and they're all joking and then it's like Merlin shows them, yeah, but look at what happened because you guys weren't, didn't have each other's backs, right? Mm -hmm. And it was this really serious moment in the film and I thought like it was really well done. Right. Even though later on, it turns out that she's not actually dead, mm -hmm. um, that it was just a test. But it still served the purpose because we as the audience didn't know that either. We're, we're seeing the world through Eggsy's eyes. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so so it was still a very serious moment. And yet it balanced so well with all the joking and the one liners and things like this. It's almost like. It, it really put me in mind in a lot of ways of the early James Bond films, you know, um, which, or even, even the Pierce Brosnan one, um, where it was a lot more playful than let's say the Daniel Craig okay. version, right? Um, which became a very serious bond. Yeah. Um, but, but like the, the Sean Connery bonds, um, I think even more so the Roger Moore ones, um, and then even more so the Pierce Brosnan ones in between you had Timothy Dalton, who was all even more serious than I would venture than um, Daniel Craig. But still, the point is they had these, there was a playful quality to it, right? Because he's always throwing those little one-liners, right? Like keep the change or something when mm -hmm. like he does away with the bad guy. And it, it was like, I, I thought the original Kingsman really had that playful quality to it that get, captured it really, really well, mm -hmm. right? Even with something uh, as simple as uh, Samuel Jackson's character being like a, being a, a, a hemophiliac, I think the word is, when you're afraid of blood, like, and he literally, even when he like is right there, he yeah. like pukes himself, like just that yeah, yeah, little, yeah. that it's, little, it showed that even human flaw, like he was still a mastermind villain or whatever, but he was still just like, right. like had the weird little flaw and he had a lisp and it was just like, they made the even gave the character more reality, more of a human quality to him. Yeah, they, they turned the trope on its ear a little bit, right? And and gave you something I think we haven't quite seen before. Um, with especially with these little touches, I thought they were nice little touches to throw in. Um, and this film was played it much more straight, right? In that sense, nobody really had these little quirks. It's almost like they saved them all for the main bad guy because mm -hmm. he was the quirkiest character of them all and yet it felt like his character demanded that he be the one that's taken the most seriously and yet it was hard to, for me to take this guy seriously at all because it's like he's walking around wearing funny looking pants and he's like cutting goats heads off for no reason at all and he's just like ranting and raving and and everybody's just like oh yes master i'll do exactly what you want and again they showed no reason at all why all these powerful people were following this guy mm -hmm. there was absolutely no reason given they all just blindly follow him and it was like okay but why what does he have over them mm -hmm. and and they did that same that same trope that i've seen in um countless movies that i cannot and this is my one of my biggest pet peeves in movie villains. Um, and I'm kind of glad we're talking about this film because it did this in the film. And this is the idea where the main villain um, kills an underling just to show everybody else that they should be afraid of him. 
Mm -hmm. And to me, that is always the stupidest scene in any film with a villain like this. Why? Because if, as the boss, you you go around killing the people that work for you, then there will be zero loyalty from those people towards you. They will only be ever afraid of you. They will never follow you for any other reason than fear. And fear is not a motivator. Fear is fear is like one of those things where it's like, I'll only do what you tell me for as long as I absolutely have to. Because the moment I get away from you, far enough away, I'm going to be like, screw you, buddy. I'm, I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. Right? That's how fear works in real life. That's why you had people like, you know, under Stalin's times, for example, in real life, the moment they, they crossed that wall, they were like, screw that. I'm not going back. Right? Even though when they were under uh, under his rule, they were like the most loyal people ever, right? Mm -hmm. Because they had to be. But the moment they, they got away from that scenario, they're like, that's it, I'm out of here. Because that's what real life teaches us, that that's not how you, that's not how you rule over people. And I understand, okay, it's a bad guy, I get it. Mm -hmm. But to me, I think Samuel L. Jackson's bad guy was uh, in that respect so much better because he genuinely seemed to care about the people working under him, mm -hmm. right? I, at least that was the feeling that I got. You know, he loved he 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 showed how much he loved Mark Hamill's character, for example, or or the the girl that worked for him, Gazelle, mm -hmm. right? Um, how much he he liked uh, her and appreciated her, and you sort of get the sense like, oh, this is a guy who, even though his morals are askew and He's doing these evil things. Mm -hmm. You get the sense that he's trying to do, in his way, he's trying to do right by the people that yeah. work for him. Yeah, and well, it's again similar in like what makes a good uh, a good villain. It's like someone that thinks that they're what they're doing is right or better. Like so, Samuel L. Jackson's uh, uh, villain. He he was trying to reduce population because to help save the like the world itself, so that everyone else can survive type thing so his motivation was strong it was makes sense then okay cool we have too many people on the planet here's a fast easy way and here's a way to do it because we know everyone is always connected to their phone i don't know like like it's it, it's when I mean, you look at it in a real logical way obviously it's crazy but when you look at it in, in, in the way of like the reason why he's doing it compared to this nameless villain just a scottish guy we barely remember realize his name this guy's name it's just like mm -hmm. oh i'm being evil to be evil i'm controlling yes yeah. brad like putin and lenin and just to have just because i can quote unquote like how exactly yeah. like how is he like because these guys like are rulers of, of armies and everything commanders so how how does this exactly how does this one guy have so much more power over these mm -hmm. dictators yeah yeah it, it... I just found it like silly um, because it was so unbelievable. Like, like you say, I think motivational, motivationally wise, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character, you, I believe, you don't, you don't have to agree with his motives, but you understand them, mm -hmm. right? They because they make them very clear. Like he thinks he's doing everything for the benefit of both mankind and the earth as a whole mm -hmm. and it's like it's completely misguided it's completely evil and it's wrong but you understand where he's coming from given his 
perspective. What was the Scottish guy's perspective? To, yeah. Right? To be a right? bad guy like, just to be a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I'm going to destroy and rule. Wahaha. Right? Yeah. Like, and it's like, sure enough, they even gave him a mustache. I mean, like, they should have had him twirling it because it's like, it's like if you're going to go with the, the full evil trope, might as well have him twirl the damn mustache yeah. on top of it. And exactly. And they tried to do this this whole big reveal. Like, granted, no, I had no clue. And But the whole entire time, I'm like, are, are we supposed to know who this bad guy actually is? Like, when they finally did show his face, it was like, was it meant to be as if, like, this guy, even though they showed Lenin, but I'm just going to use Lenin as, as an example. Like, were we supposed to see, like, this guy is a, some historic figure throughout time? No, he's just some no. random guy that's close to, that well, no, weaseled no, his way in. Random. See, and this is the thing. This is why it's another misfire. He wasn't a random guy. Do you remember the, um, the, the British general, uh, whose name I can't remember now, um, the one who dies on board the ship. Yeah, no, I, I know they, they elaborate who he is, but I'm saying like, yeah, yeah. They, they they elaborate who he is throughout the throughout the movie. But what I was saying is that it, it's how they kept him kept him hidden. It seemed like mm-hmm. more like instead of just showing that he was he's there the whole time type thing. It, yeah. it, it should, it's how they were portraying him. It made it seem like oh, they were, they were, I, they I were the reveal was going to be someone we already recognized throughout history. Type thing. Right. Oh, I, I see what you mean. So it's like it would have been much more like maybe satisfying if, if it's like, um, I don't know, if, if it's just some historical figure mm-hmm. that we all know. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Would it, like, it, it would have like, been oh more God. of a surprise if it was actually Stalin, for some, for example. I don't know. Right. That was, right, that, gotcha. that was actually puppeting all this compared to just this guy yeah. that we barely got introduced to. Like the only conversation we really noticed of this, this gen, this the uh, character was when he had a conversation with Conrad in the Kingsman room, mm-hmm. waiting room. Yeah, it's like okay, yeah. like what, like why was this okay? Like he was a side again. They're just like just like we were talking about the other characters. They didn't elaborate on who this uh, secretary, who this guy even is, even in that world of being uh, right. A, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah, again, it, it spoke to that lack of motivation for anything anyone was doing, you know, and that was, to me, that's always a hallmark of uh, a poorly written movie, um, where you're not, where you don't have a sense of why are the characters doing the things that they are doing? Why are they making the choices that they are making? Mm-hmm. And if we don't understand that, if we can't get a sense of that why, we just sort of check out as as the audience because it's like well i don't understand it and if i don't understand it i'm not invested mm-hmm. in it right and it's one of those things i think that writers have an obligation to to make it clear to their audiences it can be a ridiculous reason but give us the reason mm-hmm. right and make us understand the make us understand it again we go back to that Samuel L. Jackson character, it's a ridiculous motive that he has, you know, but we understand it Mm -hmm. as ridiculous as it is. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, I'll buy it. I'll buy into it. Now I'm along for the ride. And and then it makes you see what happens. Yeah. It makes you more emotionally invested in like, Hey, like how is this going to resolve instead of like, and that's, uh, I think that's also the thing that failed with the second Kingsman movie too. The the second one didn't have much of a, a, like, 
the the villain, if I remember correctly, the second one, she was just trying to grow this uh, drug corporate and try to big up this uh, big drug, new new drug into the world or whatever, and um, help get the basically gives people like bath salts, like terrible dilemmas or whatever. And it, again, yeah. she didn't have. I think if I remember correctly, I think her motivation was still better than this character, this villain's character, but still uh, definitely not as good as the I first one. As I recall, her motivation just really boiled down to money, didn't it? it yeah, just like, something like, like that, just to be... run this organization of the Golden Circle. Like, yeah, and it's like it's one of those things where I find that trope only takes you so far because it's like you're already super, 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 super rich. How much richer do you need to be? Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like it'd be like if if um, I don't know Bill Gates, uh, you know that type of character, if they introduce a Bill Gates type character who's just like, his only motivation is to just make even more money. And it's like, well, how many billions do you need? Mm -hmm. Right? And like, okay, I get it. I mean, I get the fact that, that there really are super rich people who whose only motive is to make money. But I think for a fantasy film, mm -hmm. there needs to be more to it than just that. It's like, why? Yeah. Why does this character feel the need to have so much money. Explain that to me. Mm -hmm. That's a story I'm interested in. Just the surface level uh, story of like, well, he's rich, but he wants to be richer. It's like, okay, but mm -hmm. why? Why does he want to be rich? Like, what do you need need this money for? Like, what does it do for right. you? Yeah. Right, what does it do for you? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. considering like, she, yeah, yeah. she already had an entire, like, island to herself with henchmen, yeah. robot, do like, robot technology, and so she already had engineers and everything working for she's her got everything and yeah send, she's got everything so yeah like, what does she need more money for it's like if they could elaborate on that if they could give us that reason in the film then it'd be like okay i can buy into this more now mm -hmm. now i can understand this villain's motivations too and i think that's one thing that a lot of writers discount right they they focus so much on the hero side of the story mm -hmm. and talking about the hero's journey because that's again that's where the term comes from mm -hmm. hero's journey right so they really just focus on that but they they miss out the idea of like well but why is the villain doing what the villain's doing mm -hmm. tell us like we we need that explanation as well so if you're going to give us the hero's journey for god's sakes give us the villain's journey as well mm -hmm. because those are the films that really work the best Mm -hmm. yeah exactly when when the motivation is clear it makes makes the most mm -hmm. sense because like yeah as we were, the kings kingsman one is top top tier kingsman two is probably like a the six seven uh six seven eight out of ten depending on yeah it's, a solid it, it, it's, just, I, I agree. it's still yeah, solid, solid still so yeah. and then this one is like there's still some things but it's only like maybe like four out of ten like yeah, it had like, it had a few things that worked really well. I thought Rasputin was a good character. Mm -hmm. I, I I liked him. I liked what they did with him. The scenes that they had with him, I thought were probably the most engaging. Um, and I really wanted to see like, oh, where is this going? Mm -hmm. Um, so I thought he was a great character. Um, and but in the end, kind of a wasted character. Right? Exactly. They they especially using him in the trailer for everything. They yeah, that's wasted yeah. is a perfect perfect word for that because. Yeah, he he was using the trailer, and they, they in the trailer they try to make it look similar to the other Kingsman movies of 
Which one yeah. thing also confused me is they didn't have any oneers. They didn't have any long one single takes or like the same action style like uh, combat fighting through the other Kingsman movies. The closest thing was when they were do- he was Rasputin was doing his like dance fighting or whatever. Like they had right. a little That's bit, right. and there was a bit of a back and forth, but nothing even close to to the other style yeah, of, it, for the movies. It was the, that was the best scene in the whole movie, I think. Um, and had the movie had that feel to it like like you say because the trailer sort of indicated like he's the bad guy like he's the main villain Mm -hmm. right and i'm watching this movie and i'm like thinking to myself well why isn't he the main villain he's easily the most charismatic of all the villains that are portrayed in this film and there's a lot of villains in this movie that's Mm -hmm. the thing um so it's like why not just focus on one you know i think sequels especially comic book style movies like this, they they usually make this mistake of when they do subsequent films, they feel like more equals better. Mm-hmm. So then they start like loading in villains because it's like one villain's not enough. Now we need like, because it's the third movie, we need like five times as many villains. Yeah. Like, why? Why do you need that many villains? It's like one, one will do it, man. Mm-hmm. What, if you do a really good villain, one one main villain with a henchman. That's mm-hmm. all you need. Spider Man Three is a big example of that. Yeah, or or if it's already, I'm gonna bring it to Spider Man just because I like using that as an example. Spider Man Three sure. is a perfect example because it's one. It's Peter Parker versus Sandman and Venom and Green Goblin and like so many characters. But now when we look at Spider Man Far From Home or No Way Home. It's about five or six villains, but there's still three heroes, so it's still it balances out. You're not doing one versus five, making it oh, how are they ever right. gonna beat this many people? It's like how are how are we going to team up and actually make this work compared to yeah. So yeah, so when they introduce too many things, and then then you fall by the wayside of again, as we were just talking about, why are people doing it? If you have one or two then you can elaborate the story more and figure out what is to the motivation behind people. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Spider-Man, this, this last one, I mean, this, it's one of my favorite movies I've seen in a long time. I thought it was such a well-done film. And they they did that smart thing of, of saying, okay, we're going to have multiple bad guys because it's a sequel, and so that's what was sort of expected. But they did it in a very clever way where they're like, okay, there's multiple heroes to counter the multiple villains Mm -hmm. right so now you've got um it's a group versus a group rather than just like one-on-one or one-on-five or whatever the case may be yeah like you say um so yeah that that was definitely way better done yeah exactly so like but yeah i I don't want to just jump right back into Dr. Spider-Man because I do that all the time, but that's just it's just an easy way of talking to use as an example because they're such such big movies and so well known of, as an example of how to make it work. But um, but they're really well written though. They're, yeah, they're really really well written. Um, I, I I particularly like the Spider-Man series uh, in the Marvel universe. Um, I, I find the the characters are all very human. You really understand where they're coming from. In the second one, um, no, the first one, sorry, the first one, um, with the vulture being the bad guy, mm-hmm. he was such an amazing villain mm-hmm. because you, again, you you really get to understand 
the motivations behind his actions and why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah. And it's like, you might not agree with what he's doing, but you can understand why he's doing it. Yeah, especially in the world that it, that it's set in. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, and But it, the same goes for all the characters. Like, I found that, of course, Peter, you understand his motives and, and the decisions that he makes and where they're grounded. But I found even the side characters, right? Like Ned, um, he's such a wonderful best friend character mm -hmm. because you really you get a real sense of of understanding this kid where his mindset is right how he wants to be a hero himself but of course he doesn't have superpowers so he's the guy in the, the, guy chair, in the chair as he calls yeah. it right yeah. and and yet he's so happy to have that role mm -hmm. right and be part of something bigger than himself and it's like and you feel happy for him mm -hmm. right you feel, and it's like that's an awesome character development it's mm -hmm. like this is how you're supposed to write the <laughs> supporting characters, guys. <laughs> well, I, I, have a, I have a question for you um, as yeah. as a as a writer and someone who um, writer and you're a, a actor director, you're someone that's actually fully in, involved in, in the industry. And um, yeah. how much of this movie of the the King's Man do you think got producers pushing in, like like uh, Suicide Squad, for example, producers? overwrite James Gunn's writing, they fucking threw him oh off gosh. the bridge. I, I have a feeling that I that's the part of the issue there was the fact that pr producers were like, we need to push this way a little bit more, a little bit more, make it Oscar worthy. Like Yeah, it's it's tough to say. I don't know. I haven't heard any rumors one way or the other about that. So it's it's tough to say. Um yeah. Do you, do you think it was say, more all, producer? All I or? can say is it's it's so unlike the previous two Kingsmen, uh, and yet Matthew Vaughn directed all three of them, and he had a hand in writing this one. Um, so I don't know. I I don't. I maybe it was something on that on the studio level, but or maybe it was just a case that he was trying to do something different mm -hmm. because it's the third movie. And it's a completely different setting and it's a completely different set of actors. So you maybe there's this expectation that, you know, even though it's the third film in the series, it really has very little to do with the very first two, mm -hmm. right? So you have to try different things to sort of rope in that audience uh, rather than just retelling the same story you did the first two times, but in a World War One setting, mm -hmm. which is what he could have done. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think I think lesser directors would have done exactly that. Mm -hmm. um, they would have just copied Eggsy's story, right, where they would have taken Conrad as this poor kid from the streets of London, but in you know nineteen fourteen, mm -hmm. and and done the same sort of idea. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm glad they didn't do that. I'm glad they didn't do that. Uh, so I appreciate that he tried something different. Um, I just feel like there were a lot of missed opportunities. Mm -hmm. Is all. Yeah, exactly. I think. Um, no, no, yeah, that, that's definitely a good point. Because if it was just the exact same thing, then it would have been like, okay, we still would have been talking about it, but and still probably would have been talking about it in a negative way. But if we would have been talking about like. Okay, well, can you do something a little bit, a little bit different? So that that's what's must. It's gonna be so hard 
um, for any writer, uh, writer, director, uh, producers, like where do you find that balance to, to, to do? Because either way, people are going to, no matter what, you're going to have people, you can't please everyone, right? So I think this was, it was still a decent movie as a movie. Take take away the Kingswood Kingsmanness of it. I think it would make more sense as just a, a general World War One like drama or whatever, right? And then just maybe maybe and then um, so it, and as a movie in general, it was okay. It was longer than it should have been in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they drew out yep. way too much stuff, and it, you could tell it looks like they were shot pieces, and they're like. Does this make sense? Okay, we'll put it in anyway, and hopefully it makes sense. Like, there's some things that you they they had they had the money to do it, they had the time to do it, so they might as well do it type thing. Where mm-hmm. was it necessary for the film? Maybe not, but yeah, I think yeah. You know what? I yeah. think I think it's one of those things where at this budget level, there are certain expectations on all parties, and. I think it's very easy probably to to get caught up in that sense of this is a big machine and let's do as little as we can to disrupt the machine. So with that, you get the sense, I think, sometimes that there's not enough pushback at any level, um, whether that's at the writer level or at the director level or the producer level or the actor level, whatever. I don't know. I, I can't speak to that, but it's almost a sense of, I can't imagine that everybody who read that script would have been like, Oh, this is the best script I've ever read. I, I just can't imagine that because mm-hmm. my feeling reading, you know, if the script was anything like what came on screen, my feeling reading it would have been like, what the heck am I reading? Mm-hmm. Right. And I would have had the same questions I'm having now. Mm-hmm. Like, why is this character doing this? And what's going on here? And what's happening here? And why is this going on? And if you have that many questions reading a script, those are all red flags. But again, it's this thing where it's like, it becomes this big machine where it's like, but there's hundreds of millions of dollars being pumped into this. And it's like, and we're starting on Friday. And you know, you know what I mean? And it's like, who are you to question things now, man? Yeah, like it's yeah, exactly. We're we're going. We're going ahead with this. And then, you know, movies being what they are, like you say, there's there's sometimes people on the upper end of things, especially the money people or whoever who are saying, Hey, I'd like to see this. Yeah. And hey, I'd like to see this. Or, you know, our test audience or our our survey says people want to see more of blank. Mm-hmm. So let's throw that into this film. And you're like, yeah, but that has no basis in this film. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. Audiences want to see it. So throw it, you know, shoehorn that in there. So, it's like, yeah. again, makes me think of Spider-Man 3 with Venom, right? Um, yeah, Sam Raimi did not Spider-Man want Venom at Sam all. Raimi, right? Yeah, that's right. It, it wasn't even part of the script. And the studio made him put him Venom in because Venom was a very popular character with comic book readers. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I get it when there's that sort of, you know, level of, of pressure, as it were, I think. And I think maybe sometimes people are afraid to voice concerns or to say, hey, you know what? This isn't working. Mm-hmm. Can we do something about this? Can we think about it? Can we change it? 
Um, yeah, I don't know. Does it maybe happen more? I think maybe it happens more in bigger films uh, than on smaller ones because there's more to lose, mm-hmm. right? There's more at stake. Yeah. And I think in smaller films, because there's less pressure, uh, everybody involved sort of feels like, well, you know, I can speak up and I, there won't be like severe repercussions. Mm-hmm. Whereas on a big film, it's like, I, I, I almost imagine, you know, I'm not, I've never been on a big movie. Uh, so I, I don't know, but mm-hmm. I imagine there are probably times when it's the safer route at any level for you to just say, yep. Yeah. Let's, let's right? get this exactly. Make them, make them happy so that we can just get this done yeah. and made and hopefully yeah. everyone is happy at the end of the day. Yeah. And you just sort of hope for the best. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. To me, I think, I think. A wise filmmaker surrounds uh, themselves with with um, at least some trusted people who are willing to give them a little pushback, who are willing to say, no, this doesn't work. Mm-hmm. This needs work. This needs to be changed. Like you and David. Uh, and, right. Yeah. Yeah. You and like, David like Heacocker. Yeah. You guys, what yeah. I noticed with you two, you guys definitely like, um, wait, no, wait, what makes sense here? Oh, yeah, like, okay, that that's why, yeah. Yeah, we we approached our partnership uh, on the on the co-directing side uh, from day one like that. We said, listen, if we're going to make this work, um, we have to be 100% honest with each other. That means it's like if something's not working, let's voice it. Mm-hmm. Let's say it right then and there, right? Um, and I find that that's such a better dynamic because it's like if anybody does and I and that was something I don't know if you remember we sort of encourage that on set it's like look if, if if somebody sees something's off something's wrong say so mm-hmm. right like you know the the there's always that thing of like is there something in the shot that shouldn't be in the shot right that's the most basic level of that yeah like, point it out man point it out because mm-hmm. like you know if I'm focusing on performance and Dave's focusing on focus, and and uh, shot composition, we might miss the bottle of water that shouldn't be in the shot. Yeah. Right. And and if somebody says so, it's like I'm only going to be grateful. Yeah. Right? Fix, fix it now. Them. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> fix it now so you don't have to do some major like editing yeah, and just exactly. to take it out later. Exactly. 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 Yeah. Right. So. Okay. But I, I, I find that should be the case at all levels. Yeah. So normally I ask you what's something like uh, a five good things, five bad things, but we've mostly been talking about the negatives. Uh, what Can you give me a few, it doesn't even have to be a specific number, just a few couple things off the top of your head that you did actually, like something that was positive you did like about the movie. Um, I thought there were a couple of amazing stunt sequences in the film. Um, and I know on the surface that doesn't seem like a big deal, but, but I, I'm a big fan of action. So for me, I really appreciate great stunt work when I see it. Um, the, the Rasputin fight, uh, being chief among them, I thought that fight was so well done. Um, especially the way they choreographed this is like a three-way fight between the characters and the fact that Rasputin had this dance fighting style, which I thought was really cleverly done where they incorporate this sort of Russian traditional dance into his fighting style and, and 
the idea that it's all done in the backdrop of the 1812 Overture. I really love that because uh, that's one of my favorite pieces of music of all time. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really cool, a uh, bit of, of filmmaking. Uh, there's a scene later on where Ralph Fiennes is uh, flying on a plane and he gets stuck in the wing of the plane yeah. as the plane is falling down. That scene was fantastic. I actually, I love that scene because mm -hmm. I genuinely felt, um, you know, like that feeling of, oh my gosh, what's going to happen mm -hmm. to him? Even though you know he's going to be fine. He's yeah. the hero. But it, they did it in such a good way. Like it was so, so well done that it's like, how is he going to get out of this? This is really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, it was exciting. It was thrilling. Um, I didn't know how it would end. So I appreciated that scene very much. Yeah. Um, That's one of those themes that when when watching it as people like you and me who, who like seeing how movies are made compared to general people who just watch a movie to watch a movie. For, for me, yeah. when I was watching it, I was like, Holy shit! That's me. Looks how many shot lists are on just this scene alone, and keeping track of totally. of like where the plane is in space compared to when he's upside down, where the actor is, yeah. like who the stunt double is, and and actually editing it, and like okay, so in this scene he was upside down, and the plane was this far down, and you saw yeah. the mountains in the background at this like that. What I was watching, I was like, let alone like what I agree with you of being like, holy shit! Okay, this is actually like again like knowing he's gonna get out, but like an actual like wow moment. Then also being like yeah. overthinking of like holy fuck like there's so much shit going on here. <laughs> well, and that's I, I find that's something Matthew Vaughn does really really well is those action scenes, right? Like that was one of the things I love about the first two Kingsman movies because their action scenes are really spectacular. Because mm -hmm. um, he's got this really cool style um, to his to his action scenes. You know, it's almost almost it's a totally different style, say from somebody like Zack Snyder. But what what it makes me think of is he's kind of made his own style mm -hmm. um, that you can almost recognize a Matthew Vaughn um, sort of action scene just from the way that it plays out. Kind of Same like as you right. can usually recognize a Zack Snyder action scene just from the way it plays out. Mm -hmm. um, so they've kind of made the, these sort of signature styles. Um, and I thought there was... Those were the, the times of the film where I felt his signature style really come out. Um, well, I think, like I said before, I, th I thought the level of acting was really good. Um, I thought the actors, you know, the performances I thought were solid for the most part, other than the main villain, um, who was just too cartoonish. Um, but but the, the heroes, for example, the Ralph Fiennes, I thought he tried. Um, that's that's what I'm gonna say. He tried. Mm -hmm. The man is a phenomenal actor. He's an Oscar level actor, so you know he can act. Um, I felt there were moments where it's like they certain moments took too long, but then other mo moments were too short. Like when he's um, the aftermath of his son's death. Mm -hmm. There's this like I don't know two minute segment where he's like sort of falling apart and he's in tears and he doesn't want to have anything to do with the world but the moment goes by so quickly mm -hmm. until he sort of like you know picks himself up off the ground and it's like okay i'm gonna stop the bad guy and it's like it, it just happened so quickly and i was like that's wow, the time that you should have let him sit sit in the moment yeah exactly exactly like this was, and it was such a great a bit of acting on his part you know i thought like wow he's like i'm, I'm getting some genuine emotion here and then it's like before you know it, it's like it's 
gone. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, okay, I guess we're moving on now. You know, so um, yeah. So I, uh, and the Rasputin, the, the I'm not sure who the actor is who played him, mm-hmm. uh, but I thought he did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. I really liked. Yeah, his like the, the thing which is something so simple, like just smelling of that the pie and just having it in his there and just shoving it in his face and just like because yeah. as like he knows there's something up and you can tell and, and you know there's something there and he's just the craziness of like him licking his. Uh, his uh, guy's leg there, and just yeah. like the 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 weird intense stare, and yeah, like the the yeah, the uh, actor who played Rasputin worked really well, and mm-hmm. um and like the how he's just like yeah, if you knew me, if you did actually sure know me, then you know I take uh poison every I drink poison every morning to keep myself immune from it, like yep. those small little subtleties, and which is I do believe an actual historic fact. I, mm-hmm. that he actually did stuff like that and like the weird craziness and which again which would have made more sense for him to be the actual main villain like yeah like they they the way that they you know dispatched him in the film was reminiscent of the way it really happened in real life and um this idea because in, in real life i don't know how much of a rasputin story you know but in real life what happened was he um there was a group of princes in Russia who really did want to kill him. And so they invited him to a, a, officially it was a Christmas party, but it was really an orgy that they invited him to, Mm -hmm. where the idea was, let's get him as drunk as we can, and then we'll kill him. And they poisoned the wine and he drank enough poison to kill like 10 men. And he was still like totally fine. Mm -hmm. And so they thought like, okay, this doesn't work. So they got desperate and they shot him and they stabbed him and then they threw him into the uh, river, uh, which it was winter time. So it was frozen over. Um, They had to like basically cut a hole in the ice, toss him into the river. um, And um, I want to say they beheaded him as well afterwards. And what happened was when they eventually fished his body out, they found that he had water in his lungs, which meant that he was actually breathing when he was dumped into the river. So imagine this, like poison didn't work, shooting didn't work, stabbing didn't work. He basically drowned to death after all that. Like the guy was, you know, there was like this sort of mythical quality Mm -hmm. to him. Like he's some kind of a Superman. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And his death only kind of spoke to that. And I thought it was kind of cool how they recreated that yes but in the context of this yeah still throwing him into the river and yeah and still trying to get him to freeze and russians don't freeze russians are born in the ice yeah 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 and it was so that was clever i thought that was well done you know but again it just made me think like man this is the guy who should be the main villain (laughs) yeah exactly when i was like when showed up like okay there we go boss fight or eh, no not the actual boss like yeah, 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 exactly. But yeah, and I, I found the actual boss fight wasn't on like it wasn't as as exciting as the Rasputin fight. The mm-hmm. Rasputin fight felt like it actually had higher stakes, and I think the reason for that is because again, there's three guys fighting him, and you don't know which of them are safe, mm-hmm. right? Whereas when it was the final fight, it's just main good guy against main bad guy and this being a comic book movie 
you know the hero will win. Mm -hmm. So there's zero stakes in the in the final fight, whereas in the Rasputin fight, there actually felt like there was stakes. Yeah. Do you do you know what it, it reminded me of? The the final uh, bad guy boss fight at the end reminded me of the uh, Fast and Furious. I think it's I want to say it's six or seven or it's one of, something like that, where it's uh, Vin Diesel versus. Um, uh jason statham jason statham and, and it's just like ball yeah. like, and it's a brawl for for no reason then you get jason then yeah. you get uh that the, was six yeah that was six. six okay thank you yeah exactly and like that's what it made me think of it's just like random like okay we're kind of connected but not really like we kind of know each other but not really and it's like yeah. uh, 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 and fall over day like yeah I honestly thought that fight was better. Yeah, there's there's no like choreo there's hardly any choreography or anything. Yeah. They blew so. their budget on trenches and Germans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well and then and then again they did this whole thing of like rescuing the speaking of the trench too, of like of rescuing the one uh Brit that was had the secret message or whatever in the middle and they did this whole thing of like, hey, we're gonna go quiet and everything and then just Sure. They filled the and the issue of like Game of Thrones where they filled the whole thing at nighttime and it's too hard to follow like who was the actual leader in command who was the main character the character we're supposed to be following the like who was who except for a couple of times when you see the Germans with their gas masks face shields yeah. on for some reason and it was like, now that you mentioned wearing... that did you did you find it kind of like um, I don't know ironic I guess is the word that it all ended up being pointless because I don't know if you know, uh, if it's, if you caught it in the movie. So they go through this entire sequence of, of this mission to rescue this guy. And then it turns out he's carrying the secret code. Um, and it was like, but it turned out that they'd already decoded the, the message. So, you know, it was like the kid almost died for nothing. I mean, I guess there was the there was the angle that because it was the original handwritten note, that's what got them into the war. Mm -hmm. Okay, I get that, but there was this other side of it, which like he was only faring the message because he thought they needed to get the message, but they'd already got the message. They mm -hmm. already figured it out. Yeah. So it's like to me, it just felt like well, so what was the point of all that? Yeah. Like. They, again, it's trying to be like Hacksaw Ridge, where just one guy saves yeah. everyone. They're like if they now if they did something like that, but made it similar to like the first Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman movie, where it was like extravagant and or random explosion. Yeah, or whatever, that it would have really well done. Yeah, yeah. If that movie like that's why the Wonder Woman movie is one of my favorite movies in the DCEU, because um, mm. it's similar to like the Marvel style. Um, but right. but if they if, if they did that scene in like the Wonder Woman style. It would have, but it would have made sense if they actually filmed the movie in like the original Kingsway style, right? Where this is just again 1917, Hawksaw Ridge, whatever name Dunkirk, name a World War One movie, and they're trying to emulate well, that. You know what? You make a really good point. Um, you make a really really good point. Imagine if they'd done that sort of trench warfare scene where he's where Conrad is taking on the Germans in the same style that Eggsy took on the bad guys in Samuel L. Jackson's lair. 
Yeah. And like had they, they actually that, showed some so, of his training um, and actually yeah, like, or, been... or how or how Colin Firth took on all those um extremists in that church. Mm-hmm. Right? Like had they done that, mm-hmm. that would have been super cool. Yeah, it would have blown it exactly. Right? But it wouldn't have made sense in it, they wouldn't have made sense to do it now because because of how the style of the movie has been played right. throughout the entire right. time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so yeah, I think I, again, I think in general the movie was okay, but it just didn't have the same style to it. It just, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. But, so okay, uh, I think that's pretty pretty much covers it. Uh, we are both feeling okay with the movie, but hoping, wishing it went a different way, and but just not too too exact. Um, um, yeah, you can definitely, if, if you like this kind of things, like, make sure to keep on listening, please. I need some, some love and support, but, um, yeah, always, always a pleasure talking with you, Neil. It's always, it's always fun. I, I, I when yeah, I was first thinking, I, because I, I had a small headache, I was like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to have much to talk about this, because it was a long movie. I was kind of falling asleep watching. I was like, but uh, no, I'm glad that we were able to jump in and actually have a full conversation about it again. So it's always fun. Okay, let me let me put a bug in your ear and a bug in everybody else's ear who might be listening right now. I saw a far superior movie just the other night. It's called Cop Shop. It was actually written by a writer from here in Alberta. Um, and it stars Gerard Butler, Frank Grillo. It was awesome. It was such a fun movie. It's contained. It's It's like kind of like Assault on Precinct 13, think of it that way, um, but in a much more playful style. Um, and it's the lead character. I can't remember her name. She's, she's a brand new actress. I haven't seen her in anything else. Uh, she was just fantastic. I'm like an instant fan of hers. Um, and she's like probably one of my new female top heroes in action movies. Mm. So like, Check this movie out. Maybe we can talk about that one okay. at some point in the future. Okay, I'd love sounds to hear good. what you think of that one. Oh, well, no, no, sounds sounds good. Hey, I always ask you you for recommendations as well. So um, There we go. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. All right. So for anyone who's listening, make thank you for listening and having fun. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and listen to anywhere on Spotify, Apple, Google, anywhere podcasts are available. Um, if you are also interested, follow myself uh, on TikTok, M3 underscore media, and Neil on TikTok as well, because he makes all the stuff that he was bringing up about writing and giving it, and, like, having your characters and everything. He has really quick snippets and uh, from all on that on, on TikTok. He's only started TikTok pretty recently, but I'll still give him a little right. bit of a plug. Neil Chase Film on TikTok, right? That's right. Yeah, Thank just you. like, yeah, just like anywhere else. Uh, but yeah, no, he's actually quite knowledgeable, and um, I've... Even though I'm, I, I always tell myself, no, I'm not a writer, but like you always try to get motivation to give you to actually do it. You're one of the definitely one of the people that try to get like, not the fact that you're getting me to do it, but like makes me think, oh, fine, I guess I could. <laughs> you can, anybody can. Everybody's got a story inside them to tell, and they should, and you should too. I'll try. <laughs> All right. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening, and uh, we will see, hear from you. Well, here, here, see, wow, did I mess that sentence up? We will be back uh, again in the future.